Well, everyone's already standing, so. Today we're reading from Hebrews uh, three, chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. Um, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of us, or in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And from Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts um, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of God. You may be seated. All right. Well, we'll just jump right in. Um, Start by saying something that I I think will make sense as I explain it, but discipleship to Jesus actually following Jesus, um, it has a paradox at, at the center of it. Maybe numerous paradoxes, but here's one. The first is that in one sense, following Jesus is simple and easy. Think of the words of Jesus in Matthew 11. He said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's easy in the sense that salvation that Jesus offers is truly free. Think of the words of Paul in Ephesians. uh, I forget what chapter now, but it's verse 8 in one of the chapters, (laughs) according to my notes. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast. The Christian life is not meant to be one of white-knuckling and bootstrapping, but it's simple trust in Jesus that then leads to dramatic change, and that's from beginning to end. It's all about faith and trust in his prior work in us. So there's a sense in which following Jesus is meant to be easy. Here's where the paradox comes in, though, but there's another sense There's another sense in which it is excruciatingly difficult. Think of the words again of Jesus, same book, Matthew chapter seven. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Or think about how Jesus delivers his call to discipleship, same book again, chapter 16. If anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross, his cross, Roman torture device for public humiliating execution. Let him take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So it's also the case that the Christian life is one of temptation, suffering, and danger 
in a sinful, unjust world. The Christian life is one of sacrifice and service among needy people. And the Christian life is one of discipline, denial, and a certain kind of death in bodies that still want to rage against the, Jesus, the vision of flourishing that Jesus gives us. And Jesus isn't schizophrenic. He isn't contradicting himself here. He's speaking to a spiritually complex situation that is not easily summarized in just a few phrases. There's a tension that we've probably all felt and lived with. This morning, I want to start by considering an application of the difficult side of this equation. So it is true that in a sense, things are easy with Jesus. It is also the sins that they are hard, and I want to start there. It's true that following, choosing to follow the Jesus of the Scriptures, the Jesus that unites the great theologically orthodox streams of Christianity across time and across cultures is hard. It can entail, you know this, some of you have felt this, living in Portland in particular, it can entail estrangement and exclusion from our neighbors. It digs out our chief idols, to name three of the most common idols like money, what we do with our resources, idols like sexuality, what we do with our bodies, idols like power, what we do with our privileges, positions, and abilities. It calls us to submit to Jesus' values and his vision for life when our cultural conditioning, our preferences, our values, even our biology at times calls us elsewhere. It calls us, help, God help us Americans, it calls us from an individualistic orientation about my own pleasure, my own happiness, my own goals, my own dreams, my own vision, into an others-focused one. In short, every single person who chooses to follow Jesus will find aspects of his or her life They will find aspects of his or her life incredibly difficult to reconcile with Jesus. It will be hard for some of us. Let me just say, it will be hard. It is hard for all of us who want to follow Jesus at some point to even want to follow Jesus where he's calling, let alone to actually do it, let alone to actually say, yes, I'm going to submit to you, Lord, and follow you there. So the final two mutuality commands we're going to consider, and this is uh, the final week of, I guess it's been seven weeks now, we've been considering these one another mutuality commands that we are arguing put flesh on the idea of what it means to actually love one another, which is the basic fundamental command for life in the church. These last two that we're going to consider are about the necessity of having brothers and sisters to help us follow Jesus, because given all this difficulty we're describing, it is... (laughs) It is nearly impossible to follow Jesus alone. It's nearly impossible. Left to our own devices, pieces of this seem frankly impossible. But we're not saved into a vacuum. We're saved into a family. The Christian life was not meant to be lived alone, but in community. We're not meant to bear our own burdens alone, but to have brothers and sisters who will come under and shoulder them with us. So to that end, let's pray. And then we're going to jump in. Lord, we thank you that the gospel is gloriously simple, that we don't ever have to be good enough to earn your love, but your love is freely given to any who would receive it, Lord, by what you've done, what Jesus has done on the cross. We thank you that even tomorrow, if we've been following Jesus for a long time, even tomorrow and the next day and the next year and the decades after that, Lord, 
the path to you is still the same. It's just, just trust. It's faith. It's belief. It's leaning into what you've done for us. And yet, Lord, it is the case that to step into the kind of life that you envision for us, the kind of flourishing that you have for us, kind of peace and joy is hard. And I suspect every one of us in this room has places in our lives, circumstances, where it's just really hard and really sad and painful. And Lord, we thank you that you have not left us alone, but that you've given us brothers and sisters in this church and in the church at large across your world to help. Lord, and more than that, you've given us your Holy Spirit who indwells us and empowers us and strengthens us. We need, we need you, we need your spirit, and we need one another, Lord. We pray that this morning would help us just a little bit more appreciate both the challenge and, and the privilege it is to get to follow after you in community. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think most weeks we've looked at two of these commands side by side, and this will be the case here for this last one, because these two, they come from the same book, the book of Hebrews, and they're, they're, they're gesturing at essentially the same idea using different language. And so we put, put these two side by side and we'll, we'll consider them from, from th- with three, three basic questions. The what is being commanded here, the why, and then the how do we actually do it. So the what, the what, two commands that are highlighted there in yellow. Exhort one another from chapter three and then down in chapter 10, let us consider how to stir up one another. So what are these? Exhort is not a word I basically ever use. It sounds very Christian-y to me. If someone were to say, I want to exhort you, brother, I'd be like, what the heck is going on? Um, So we need to define our term here. To exhort is to call into something. It's to urge. It's to implore. It's to try to convince and to try to get someone to do something. That's exhort. So how about stir up? Maybe that language is a little bit more normal to us. Stir one another up to various things. But the Greek, the Greek here is really interesting. It's a word that almost has a negative edge to it. It's a word you could translate just as well provoke, to provoke or to irritate or to agitate someone. We might call it sort of an affectionate agitation or incitement towards something good. So I, I'm, I, the chief example I can think of this is, comes from my own marriage, and this is kind of the idea, probably if, if, if you've been in a, a long-term relationship, you've experienced this, maybe even just in friendships, where, you know, things can kind of be going well for a while, and, but, you know, kind of a, just, just a, I don't know, a lack of intentionality can set in, and it's very common for one friend or spouse or whatever to, to, to want to come in and kind of shake things up a little bit introduce some drama into the situation because you're recognizing like there's a lack of intimacy here. We're not connecting. We're kind of just going along to get along. I'm going to kind of come in. I'm going to kind of twist the knife a little bit. Can anybody relate to that? I'm seeing a lot of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Paul is telling us there are contexts where we should do this, a kind of loving agitation to shake you out of the familiar and the routine and to get after like the real stuff. Let's really get into it. Let's really be together. Let's really like get into this. And so uh, if you've ever started a fight, which is a painful, unpleasant thing for a good end, you've done this. You've done this. You have stirred someone up. You've, you, you've done some affectionate incitement. Um, but notice that what Paul's not saying, or Paul, we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. That's, that's just habit there. Whoever 
uh, wrote this text, they're not just saying be a jerk. They're just saying go and just be aggressive with people, whatever. The first, the first idea there is to let us consider how to do it. The idea is to step into this with wisdom, with, with, do it in a considerate way, to contemplate what is the best way to stir up the person in front of me to actually achieve the end that I want, which is something good and beautiful and positive. In this case, following Jesus more closely. Following Jesus more closely. Stirring this person up to love and to good works. So to do it with consideration. So Paul is telling us, not Paul, again, dang it, I don't know how many times I say that. I'm not gonna correct myself again. If I say Paul, we're just gonna go with it. Um, it's not Paul, but I might say Paul. Um, the author is telling us, the author is telling us that part of our obligation to one another is to be this kind of positive, belligerent presence in the lives of our brothers and sisters to get them to follow Jesus more closely. That's the task. Not to do it as jerks, but to consider, to do it thoughtfully, to do it with intentionality and uh, the right amount of contemplation to do it well in a way that's not actually counterproductive. So these are two similar ideas, exhort and stir up. But they boil down to the fact that believers in Jesus that make up the church are meant to be active participants in the spiritual lives of one another. And that's probably obvious from all the other things we've talked about, some of the, some of the various commands we've looked at, kind of gesture at this idea as well, but I think this is a distinct angle on it. But note that we can be positive or negative participants in each other's spiritual lives, can't we? We can be positive or negative influences on one another's lives. Influence can go either way. So we have to ask the question, what is the influence for? What is it meant to be used for? That takes us into our why question. Next slide. So the next kind of phrases I want to highlight here in the same verses um, answer this question. What is the exhortation of stirring up for? They tell us something very similar. Again, to exhort a person in this sense is to use your platform it's whatever you have in someone's life to call them into the good and the beautiful and the true, to call them into God's vision for flourishing, to call them towards intimacy with God. Notice the context like, that this command in verse 13 happens in. So he's saying, take care, brothers, lest there be in, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. So one of the things the author is concerned about is unbelief, a heart that would just you know, reject the truths that they've been following that would lead them to fall away from the living God. And then the, the last phrase there, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There's always a danger. There is always a danger to be pulled away. We will, every one of us at some point or another, if you've been walking with Jesus for any amount of time, you have been tempted, I trust, to walk away, to throw in the towel, to say, man, this is too hard. This is too isolating. This is too weird. This is too uncomfortable. I feel too out of step with what my family or my neighbors or my coworkers or whoever are doing. People will be tempted to abandon Jesus for various reasons. And given that reality, the call is for you in the lives of your friends and your friends in the life of you to be a presence that continually encourages that, that person back to faithfulness back to trust. In the words of chapter 10, to love and good works, which again, is just such a, that's a good phrase to have in your mind. What's the heart posture? Love. How does love get expressed? Good works. Actually doing things. Actually serving and caring for and loving in real practical terms the people around you. 
So that's what we're called to. I would maybe just say here, where people are tempted to abandon Jesus for various reasons, and we are about taking an active role in helping people towards a few specific ends. One is to just remain in the real Jesus and historic Orthodox Christianity. It is always going to be a temptation. It has been since the church was birthed to conform and to bend and to twist and to mold the message of Jesus to fit whatever the prevailing ideology is of the day. You know, in years past, like decades ago, the most controversial thing about following Jesus uh, was the miracles. There was a whole movement about how insane it is to believe in things like the resurrection, how insane it is to believe in things like uh, the creation account in the, story, in the uh, Genesis account, how crazy it is to believe in something like the virgin birth, and frankly, a whole lot of ph- philosophy that's, you know, a bit more self-aware has, has shown like, yeah, it's not that crazy. That's not really the sticking point. Sure, each of us come to those things and we're like, ah, how do I really believe this? How do I, you know, verify that this is the case? Those are worthy questions to ask. But I'm guessing for most of us, the things that really rub us and, and, and make us want to go, ah, I'm not so sure about that, aren't those issues. It's not factual claims about the things about Jesus. Today, the things that make us really squirm in our seats are often the ethical often the things related to sexuality, marriage, divorce, things in that realm. And so, you know, maybe just take comfort in the idea that every 50 years or so, it's gonna be something different. <laughs> 50 years from now, our cult- God knows where our culture is gonna be. It's gonna be somewhere different. The questions that we'll be animating and that we will be wrestling through will be different. Our children will be wrestling through very, very different questions, I assume, than the ones we are now. Maybe some of the same, but I assure you, some very, very different ones. That has been the way things have been since Jesus sent his spirit into the world on the day of Pentecost. The flavors of the day, the values of the day will come and go. There will be societies. There are societies right now where it's more difficult to believe certain things about Jesus than it is others. You go into a different culture, it's more difficult to believe certain things about Jesus than others. We have our own cultural blinders. I guarantee you, I come to this text, the biblical text, with weird blinders that shape it, and I'm wrong about something. I don't know what it is, or I wouldn't preach it to you, but I know that I'm wrong. The task, nonetheless, for every one of us at every time and every place is to seek and strive prayerfully to be as faithful to Jesus as revealed in the scriptures as possible. And he has grace for us when we get it wrong. He has grace for us when we get it wrong, but the task remains. And so our call is to live out and to help our brothers and sisters live out as best as we can understand it, as best as we can conceive of it, as best as we can, the historic once for all Orthodox Christian faith. That's what we're after here, friends. It's not just believing. You know, or, there's a, a, a popular phrase, orthodoxy, right belief without orthopraxy, right practice. Orthopraxis is dead. I think James had something to say, like, say about that. Faith without works is dead. So it's not just believing the right things, but actually stirring one one another up to live out our faith in genuine, real ways, that it doesn't just become this compartmentalized thing that we go, yeah, that's something I believe in, but it doesn't, I actually have no skin in the game. When there's a suffering neighbor living in the street, when there's someone in my community that's very, very, like, lonely and alone. The call is to actually become people, not just believe this stuff, but that let it bleed out into every area of our lives. Again, with what we do, with our time and our energy and our money, our gifts, our weaknesses. 
every resource that we have, to not just be thinkers, but to become doers of the word. To have not just faith, but faith complemented by, supplemented, evidenced by works, including the kinds we've been talking about now for seven weeks. So belief and practice. And all of it, the end goal being to become people of love. We said that day one. All of this is to become people of love. That is the fundamental command of the church, to love people and to encourage them to love through all of the one another mutuality commands we've been talking about, to forgive and to be forgiven, to forbear and to be forborn, to confess and to receive confession, to pray for others, not just to say you pray for others, but to pray for others and to be prayed for to serve others and to be served, to carry the burdens of others and to have your burdens carried by others, to encourage and to be encouraged, to teach and to be taught, to admonish and to be admonished, to honor and to be honored, to submit and to be submitted to. Yes, to exhort and to be exhorted, to stir up and to be stirred up. All of this is evidence of the love of God within us and working through us to do the things the church is meant to do and be. So practically, this means we are all meant to be in the process of helping to disciple one another. And this can be very informal in a sort of as-you-go kind of way. I suspect that that will be what it looks like for for many of us, just sort of as we're interacting with different people, situations are coming and going, sort of ad hoc, just as as it comes. And then it can and does take place within the larger structures that we have, like community groups. Community groups are, in a a certain way, a way that we do this with one another. We stir one another up. We exhort one another to follow after Jesus. It can happen here on the Sunday gathering as well, in its own way. And then it can and does take place within specific contexts designed to get very deep and very focused about growing in Jesus. I usually call these like mutual discipleship groups. And there's a number of those already happening around the church. People who've just said, I'm getting something from community groups, I'm getting something from Sunday morning, I'm getting something from just kind of organic coming and going with my friends, but there's a need I'm recognizing, there's a way I want to grow deeper with somebody, and a lot of you have just taken the initiative to say, hey, will you meet with me once a week at 6 a.m., and we're going to go do this thing, we're going to go pursue this piece of following Jesus together. That is a beautiful thing, friends. If you've never done that, um, you should do it at some point. Maybe right now. Maybe today. You should talk to somebody about that. My point is, all of these different contexts have a, have a role to play in us becoming these kinds of mutually disciping, mutually helping, stirring up, exhorting people. So there you go. There's the what, there's the why, or the toward, toward what end, and now I want to talk about the how. And let's see. Third slide there. How, what, how. There we go. Wait, no, the next one. That one, that's the one. Thank you. So the how is crushingly simple here. The author doesn't give us a big step-by-step, but there's, there's clues hinted at in what surrounds these commands. Exhort one another, listen to this, every day, every day, as long as it is called today. And in, this, in the second passage, not neglecting to meet together. These two words, daily and together, are the key to this. The first is daily. Daily speaks to regularity. The idea is that 
this sort of thing doesn't just happen through just sort of kind of casually coming and going. At least it doesn't happen with any depth. The idea that the early church models for us, you see this all the way back in Acts chapter 2, is that daily they were together, breaking bread in homes, worshiping at the temple. Like there was just this constant coming and going, rubbing shoulders with one another. And I don't take it that that means they had church, a church gathering like this every single day, or that they necessarily saw the exact same group of people from within the Jerusalem church every day. But nonetheless, every day, in some sense, they were rubbing shoulders with the community of God. So there was, there was a, a, a daily, regular rhythm. And I think for us, we've talked about this, but just to get very, very practical here, and this ties into the things we've been talking about in our community commitments and so forth, but you can think of this, like one application of this is to weekly commit to gather here together for worship. I know we're beating a, beating a dead horse here, but um, that's not because what happens in this room is the only important thing that happens. I think everything we've said so far makes that self-evidently not the case. But nonetheless, a once a week commitment to come and gather for worship with your brothers and sisters in your local church community is a place to, reg- to enter into this regularity of relationship where you rub shoulders with people and it becomes sort of, a, sort of a breeding ground for all the other kinds of things and relationships that can fill the rest of your life. So I just, I've said it before, I'll say it again. The vision is that this place, this space, Sunday mornings, 10 a.m., becomes a place that is just a hub for community. So I encourage people to come early and stay late. We've said this before, but there's a reason why kids check-in starts at 10 minutes before service. And why it's, not a, it's not a joke. It's not, you know, just, uh, it's not just my own lack of planning or whatever, but we start the service at 10 after for a reason. Like if you're a parent, you've got kids, they make it difficult to like engage with people. Mine do, mine do. Um, you've got 20 minutes like built into the fabric of every single Sunday morning where you can come, get your kids checked in, just have time to commune with people and hang out, grab a cup of coffee, sit down, walk around and interact with a few people. Your presence here also serves as a piece, like a piece of the puzzle for hospitality for other people who are coming here who are lonely. Like there's a loneliness epidemic in our world and in our city. And your presence here early in those spaces enables someone to come and find like a, like a kind, compassionate, open person to connect with. So it works both ways. And other people do that for you as well. So there are all kinds of important things that happen in this gathering, but one of them, one of them is what we do together specifically during like what we're doing right now, listening to this text together, but then also like being together before and after, like having opportunities to connect and commune and pray together and all these sorts of things. So there's that, of course, but then we've also made a call to everyone who calls this church home to find a way to try to be a part of a community group, make a commitment to be a part of a smaller, intimate community once a week. Again, that's not everything ever. That's not gonna solve every relational need that you have. That's not gonna be the magic bullet if you feel lonely or disconnected or whatever. It often isn't. Sometimes community groups are just awkward. You all know, we've all been there. I've led those awkward groups before. I can't say anything about my current group, but uh, <laughs> we, have, we have a lovely group right now, I think. It's not always the case. It's not always the case. <laughs> you can just leave that there. Nonetheless, it's a spiritual discipline. There is deep value in just saying, I'm going to show up whether my like, heart beats for this particular mix of people or not. I'm going to do it. And if it's bad, after nine months, great. I never have to see them again. We'll sign up for another group next time. That's totally fine. No. 
In the spirit of everything we've been talking about, no, even those people that your heart doesn't beat for, that you're not just like, oh yeah, this is my person, this is the person I'm gonna really connect with, become super deep friends with, there is still something for you and for them in that relationship that can form you in some ways more deeply than any other relationship can if we'll step into it with the heart of Christ. So we think that's important. If you can't join a community group, there are a couple of other kind of weekly opportunities we have, the Bible reading group, things like that. Um, or start something. Start one of these mutual discipleship groups. Start, let me help you. Let me help you think of an idea to get you with a few people that you say weekly, we're just gonna do this. We're gonna gather together around Jesus in an intimate format where we can actually open up our lives to one another and have a space to do this kind of thing, to actually call one another into deeper fellowship with Jesus. Point of all this is just, if we're gonna do this daily with any hope, we have to make a couple commitment points from which the other stuff can flow out. View your presence among your local church community as a priority and expect relationships to form in these places that will then spill out into the kinds of daily ongoing presence in one, another life, one another's lives that this speaks of. That won't happen with everybody. You're not expected to be best friends with every person in this room. You don't have the time for it, frankly. No one does. But through continuing to show up and meeting people and forming connections, you will, over time, by the grace of God, form relationships that actually become deep and rooted. They're the people you call when crisis hits. They're the people that call you when they just haven't seen you for a while, and they're like, I, haven't, I need to pursue this person. They become the people that you spend more and more time with. And who knows? Something like a daily relationship can happen with a, with a smaller group. That doesn't happen with everyone, but it, does, it is meant to happen with someone. It is meant to happen with someone. That's the goal. So that's daily, and I maybe would just say a few words on the, on the phrase, together. So not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. It is always the habit of some, friends, that we don't meet together but we're meant to not neglect that. Together, I think, speaks to intimacy. The idea of being together speaks to intimacy. It speaks to the kind of, of closeness and depth that in a healthy relationship emerges over time. So being together, not just, doesn't just mean physically in the same room together, but actually like coming together in an intimate way, actually beginning to bear your soul, your problems, your issues, your doubts, your struggles, your fears, your anxieties, your joys, your celebrations. Your whole life begins to be born with the people around you the more that you are together. At least that's the natural and healthy course of things. So the underbelly for these commands, and I think we could say for all the commands we've been talking about now for six weeks, is this. None of it. None of these commands happen if we aren't regularly and intimately together. You can't love someone from a distance. You can't be vulnerable with someone from a distance. You can't be vulnerable just, you know, crossing paths every so often. If, we have, if we're gonna have any shot at doing this stuff, it requires regularity and it requires closeness, intimacy. So those are the commands. So the, those are the commands. And there's so much overlap with what we shared before, I didn't want to belabor it this morning, but I want to end this way. What is the goal of all this? We've looked at, what, 13, 13 distinct commands over this series. 
that put flesh on the idea of love. What's the goal? The goal of this is intimacy with Christ. The goal of this is intimacy with Christ. It seems to be the case for the New Testament authors and for Jesus himself that the, your relationship with your brothers and sisters, love being expressed here, is, is inseparable from your closeness to the king of the universe. Isn't that strange? That that's how he's designed things. Intimacy with Christ, which breeds Christ-likeness, love for Christ, and love for one another. We are to be a cross, a Christ-shaped people. And there is plenty for us to do, as we've been talking about, but the foundational heart of all of this is seeing and knowing and trusting after Jesus, the same Jesus that we're told by Paul in 1 Corinthians, died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, was buried, was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and appeared to Peter, Cephas, then to the twelve. We're to see him, we are to know him, we are to trust him, and we are to follow after him. Everything else flows from that foundation. Without that foundation, the rest of it is meaningless. So the best thing we can do for one another is to point one another to Jesus and his finished work on the cross on our behalf. When a brother or sister is struggling to trust that Jesus' vision for life is is actually good, and if you... I, I just want to keep saying that because it's so self-evidently the case. If you aren't struggling in some area, you will. It is hard to believe. Jesus said so. It's like carrying a cross some days. So when a brother or sister is struggling to trust that this vision for life is good, you get, to, you get the privilege to point them to the beauty and the trustworthiness of Jesus. When a brother or sister is struggling with guilt and shame, as we all do, as we all do, if we have any self-awareness, we are going to have moments of deep guilt and shame. We have the privilege of pointing our brother or sister to the immeasurable forgiving grace and mercy and love of Jesus. When a brother or sister is struggling through doubt in some area, we get the, the privilege of pointing them to the patience and approachability of Jesus And the fact that we do not have a God who says, tamp that down, tamp that down, you can't talk about that here. But the Psalms are, gosh, one giant, giant illustration of the fact that he says, bring your doubts to me. I will love you through them. I will see you on the other side, if we get there in this life. If we don't get there in this life, we'll get there in the next. It's a promise. And when we compliment our pointing people to Jesus with our words, With a love like Jesus, we can hardly overstate the power. Jesus said it when he gave his disciples this new commandment. Some of the key marching orders of his church, we talked about week one. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by all this, people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus first loved us, and in response, we love Jesus. And then our love for Jesus spills out into and gives shape to our love for one another. And that love for one another, we're told here, proclaims the reality of Jesus among us to our neighbors here in Portland. If we have no love here, we cannot expect anyone to give, watch my language here, to give much thought, we'll say that, to our proclamations about Jesus or his ethics or anything else. 
Sure doesn't seem like good news if there's not a heart of love attached to it. Amen? So, let's bring it full circle. During our vision series a couple months ago, I, I asked this question, and it's a really important question we all have to answer. In the age of the internet, and frankly, the incredible amount of Christian content out in the world, things like an exhaustible archive of great sermons from across the world and over history, where, I don't know if you, I shouldn't tell you guys this, you might stop listening to me, where you, where you never ever have to listen to anything but the absolute best teachers and preachers in the world. And, and on top of that, within that group of the absolute best, just your favorites. You could listen nonstop to amazing sermons all the time. We live in that day. There's also things like what our friends at the Bible Project produce, the world-class biblical theological scholarship available for free through amazing short videos, long podcast conversations, and seminary, did you know this? Seminary-level digital classroom experiences just sitting there for free. You should be taking advantage of that if you want to study and learn at a deeper level. More than that, there's high-quality gospel-centered books available with two-day shipping, thanks to our friend... <laughs> Jeff Bezos. I don't know if he's our friend or not, but we should love him. There's a sea of worship music out there. Good worship music. Worship music, and if it's not good, at least dialed to your taste, whatever that taste may be. <laughs> but there is, like, if you want to create a personally crafted, like, experience of songs and teaching and church announcements. Everyone loves church announcements. You can download some cool church announcements too, I'm sure, out there somewhere. <laughs> You're just listening to church announcements on your phone all day long. This is so good. This is so good. Here's my point. You can craft a genuinely good, like good experience for yourself on your phone. So the question, all that's set up for the question in a day like this, a day of this much content, it, here's the question, why do we come here? Why do we come here? Why are you listening to me right now? What do we get here that we can't get on our phones? The answer is the experience of the church as a family the experience of the church in relationships, the experience of the church in intimacy, and a real flesh and blood opportunity to take the things that Jesus and the New Testament authors have commanded and to actually live them out. This is where it happens. This is the arena. You can't, I've said this before, I'll say it again, probably I'll say it a lot more times, you cannot be loved through a screen. You can't be carried through a screen. You can't be known through a screen. You can't live out the one another mutuality commands through a screen. Not at any depth. It takes a commitment to show up weekly here and in community group and in the various other, opening yourself up to the various other organic spur of the moment nooks and crannies of life that added together become the raw material from which God knits together a life of genuine love in his new family and we become a signpost of Jesus' beautiful kingdom here in Portland as it is in heaven. Amen? That's what we're after. That's what we're after.
there is an opportunity here, Door of Hope Northeast, if we will take it, to actually experience the things that Jesus talked about, that Paul talked about, that the author of Hebrews, let's call him Paul, talked about. We can't do it over the internet. We can't do it over Zoom. We can't do it on our phones. It has to be embodied, flesh and blood, brother and sister kinds of stuff. So, in that spirit, uh, I'm going to read the commands again. We start, we, I believe it's week two, we read through all the mutuality commands, and we're going to do it again, uh, because it's really powerful, and we have to understand this is our assignment, Door of Hope Northeast, if we'll, if we'll take it. Settle in. There's 61 of these. Be at peace with each other. Wash one another's feet. Love one another. 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 Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Love one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. To live in such harmony with one another. Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. When you come together to eat, wait for each other. Have equal concern for each other. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Serve one another in love. Don't keep on biting and devouring each other. Not conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Carry each other's burdens. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Do not lie to each other. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever you may have against one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Make your love increase and overflow for each other. Love each other. Encourage each other. Encourage each other. Build each other up. Seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Encourage one another daily. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together. Encourage one another. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against each other. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Love each other deeply. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each should use whatever gift to serve one another. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Greet one another with a kiss of love. And we round out the New Testament with love one another, 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 love one another. That's what it means to be the church, to be a church. Let's pray for help.